Hey, soul surfers, welcome to Waves of Consciousness with My Spiritual Ocean. My name is Alicia. Today, we are riding the love and relationships wave, and we are talking about attachment styles. Before we begin, if you resonate with any information in this episode, please know that you are not alone and that you can move from an insecure attachment style, if you resonate with that, to a secure attachment style. As with any of my content, any information shared in this episode is for educational purposes only and is also based on my personal experience. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive on into attachment styles. Well, we can't start talking about attachment styles until we talk about what attachment styles are. So your attachment style affects how you behave and interact in relationships as well as how you experience your relationships. So there are four main types of attachment styles, three of which would be categorized as insecure attachment styles. And then we have the one I call the Holy Grail, (laughs) although I shouldn't call it that because there's nothing wrong with any attachment style. It's just information. And the reason I would label the secure attachment style the Holy Grail is because that is the attachment style that's going to feel most good out of all of the attachment styles. You can live life in any attachment style and make it work for you and find love, but the secure attachment style, well, we'll talk about the signs of secure attachment styles and insecure attachment styles, but having that secure attachment style is going to make life feel easier and better in my opinion. Let's start off with secure attachment style. Secure attachment style is characterized by trust, and that includes trust with intimacy, vulnerability, and space as well. Now, some signs, this is not all inclusive, but the most common signs of secure attachment include having high self-esteem, being emotionally available and able to regulate your emotions, being able to ask for help and support when you need it, setting and maintaining healthy boundaries, opening up and trusting others easily, having the ability to communicate effectively, and this includes communicating your needs, feeling comfortable in close relationships, as well as feeling comfortable being alone, having the ability to self-reflect and take responsibility in partnerships and relationships, and also having effective conflict management skills. Those are the signs of a secure attachment style. If those do not resonate for you, that's okay. They did not resonate for me at first either. But now we're going to talk about the other attachment styles, which I would categorize as insecure attachment styles. There's three of those, and we'll go through each one of them, and you can see which, if any, resonate for you. As we go through these attachment styles, if these resonate more for you, if any of them do, Please know that whatever you feel is valid if it brings up any emotion, but also there's no shame to be had with any of these attachment styles. We're going to talk about how those attachment styles were developed, which will hopefully give you a better understanding of how these behaviors and patterns and ways of showing up in relationships came to be and how you can take your power back and move out of those if you so desire for yourself. We'll go ahead and start off with the first insecure attachment style, and that is anxious attachment. Anxious attachment style is characterized by strongly desiring closeness and intimacy in a relationship, but simultaneously experiencing doubt as well as abandonment fear, so fear of abandonment, and also abandonment anxiety. And here are some signs of an anxious attachment style. That would be having low self-esteem, having a fear of abandonment, 
or rejection or a fear of abandonment and rejection, seeking approval from others, feeling jealous, having poor conflict management skills, being overly clingy and having a poor sense of boundaries, feeling uncomfortable or afraid of being alone, prioritizing others' needs instead of your own, and also excessive worrying. That's the anxious attachment style. Now we'll move on to the avoidant attachment style. Avoidant attachment style can also be known as dismissive avoidant attachment style. So those two terms can be used interchangeably. So this attachment style is characterized by a strong desire for independence and not needing or relying on other people. And some signs of avoidant attachment style include, but again, are not limited to, keeping distance from others or keeping others at a distance, pushing others away when they get close or show a desire for closeness, having a lack of emotional closeness with others, having difficulty showing or expressing emotions, being afraid of intimacy, having difficulty trusting others and opening up, having the unwillingness to seek help and choosing to deal with problems on their own, being seemingly distant or unloving, and we say seemingly because that's how it comes across, being self-reliant to the point of isolation or near isolation, and denying their need for emotional support. And finally, the last of the three insecure attachment styles is the anxious avoidant attachment style. This can also be known as the fearful avoidant attachment style. And so this attachment style, as the name suggests, is a blend of anxious attachment and avoidant attachment styles. And it is characterized by an inner conflict between wanting intimacy and having a fear of getting too close. So it can tend to be kind of this like push-pull behavior come close, but don't get too close. I want you near, but not too near. That kind of energy, if you will. Some signs of an anxious avoidant attachment style include having a need for control, stability, and security, difficulty trusting self and others, wanting a close relationship, but afraid of getting too close, kind of like we talked about earlier, difficulty regulating emotions and having trouble soothing themselves, Typically having a negative view of themselves and others, believing they will be disappointed and let down by others. They may also be very focused on their career rather than people in their lives. They have a need to protect themselves against rejection, and this can include people-pleasing tendencies. People-pleasing often stems from a fear of rejection or abandonment. They may also be passive or cold during their interactions, and this is a protective mechanism. There also tends to be hypervigilance, and this is like feeling like something's going to go wrong, so they're always looking for signs of danger. Finding it hard to maintain friendships and relationships, having elevated levels of anxiety, and also having poor concentration. Those are the three insecure attachment styles. Now, at first glance, they can seem different from each other. But let's talk about the commonalities between them. I want to start this by saying that there is no one insecure attachment style that's better than the other. Sometimes I'll hear that when I'm talking to different people with different types of attachment styles. They'll say the avoidant attachment is easier or they'll say an anxious attachment style is easier. 
but really they're not easier or better than the other one. What I find to be very interesting about these insecure attachment styles is that, again, though they seem very different from each other in ways, they have a lot of similarities. And it's just the outward expression of the attachment styles that manifest differently from each other. So here are three commonalities between these insecure attachment styles. The first one is that they can all feel isolating, disconnecting, lonely, and unfulfilling. They have similar core wounds and beliefs, including I am not enough, a fear of abandonment or rejection, and a fear of intimacy. And the third commonality is that they all hold self-protective behaviors, and some would call this self-sabotage behaviors, but really they're self-preservation, self-protective mechanisms. So hopefully hearing and knowing those commonalities can help understand why none of these are particularly better than the other and how we can relate to partners who may have the opposite or maybe even the same attachment style that we do. Okay, we've talked about the attachment styles, what they are, what they're characterized by. How did we develop them? Attachment styles are typically determined by the quality of the interaction and experiences with parents and caregivers in childhood. So if you have inconsistent, emotionally unavailable, or irregular presence of these important figures in your childhood, that's often the root cause of an insecure attachment style. And when I say presence, I don't just mean physical presence, okay? People can be physically present, but they may not be emotionally present. So if you had your physical needs met and your caregivers were present physically but not emotionally, that can also lead to insecure attachment styles. So you may have had your physical needs met or your parents or caregivers may have been there physically in person. But if they were emotionally unavailable or invalidated your emotions, that can also lead to insecure attachment style and vice versa too. So if you had your emotional needs met, but your physical needs were met, that can also create some kind of insecure attachment style as well. I want to share my story with you about my attachment style and my experience with it in life. So I used to think that I had an anxious attachment style, and then I later learned that I actually had a fearful avoidant attachment style, and learning that was very helpful for me. But this developed for me because I grew up in a house where there was codependency and addiction, and that addiction came in the form of alcoholism, workaholism, probably addiction to negative emotions, uh, maybe some other things too that maybe I didn't know about or can't think of right now, but My caregivers were present physically. Well, I had caregivers who were present physically, but those caregivers, they were not emotionally available. So my emotional needs were not met in childhood. So I had the one part taken care of. This is where when I learned about abandonment wounding, I was so confused by it because I was like, what do you mean abandonment wound? I had people there taking care of me and I learned that you can have an emotional abandonment wound. So that explained a lot for me personally. So that was kind of my childhood in a summary. And as I went through life, I was unconsciously choosing relationships that mirrored the relationship I had with my parents or the relationship that I saw between my parents or other people people in my life, the caregivers and primary people in my life. So I ended up finding myself in unstable and sometimes even toxic relationships. 
And aside from finally learning and realizing how my relationships were mirroring the relationship I had with my parents and maybe even the relationship I saw between my parents, I also did not realize that the relationships I was choosing were also mirroring the toxic relationship I had with myself. That was a really huge information for me to learn and understand. And that relationship with myself, that the not so great one, was ultimately affecting the way that I was experiencing life. I also had a tendency to seek validation from others as proof of my worth and value. So I was essentially outsourcing my worth and grew dependent on trying to make others happy in order to validate me. And I'm sure somehow this played in my role of perfectionism or perfectionism played a role in this anyway. Um, But over time, being in that dynamic and trying to prove myself and seeking that external validation... I grew to be resentful and dissatisfied because I was essentially living to make others happy all while abandoning myself. (laughs) And I did that because I didn't feel like I was good enough to be loved just as I was. So I constantly felt like I had to prove myself and I never felt like I was doing enough no matter if people told me that I was or not. So throughout life and especially during those times of life, I had very few, if any, probably none. I probably didn't have, well, I probably have, okay. Few emotional regulation skills. (laughs) Like, I don't need to dissect this. Uh, So in order to cope with how I was feeling, I actually would turn to other outward sources to fill that void. And that included using food, sex, shopping, alcohol, probably other things that I don't even realize or can't think of at the moment. But Those were the main ones for me. So I say that I tried to fill the void with them because participating in those activities, they felt satisfying in the moment. They felt good in the moment, but they didn't help me long term. And if I'm really honest, it probably left me feeling lonelier and worse than before I even engaged in those activities. So I essentially was in this cycle of chasing a feeling to fill that void or loneliness within. And the interesting thing about a void is it's a void. You can keep putting things in, but it just, it's just kind of like a black hole. Like nothing comes of it. So you're just filling an emptiness that can't be filled in, in, the, in the means of outsourcing that, filling that void. All of that has to come from within. And I'll talk a little bit later about how I switched these attachment styles. So moving from insecure to secure attachment style. But all this chasing of this feeling eventually led me to hit a rock bottom. And I probably hit many rock bottoms in my life. But this was was like the rock bottom where I was like something has got to change. I cannot do this anymore. So I was really willing to do just about anything to turn my life around. And so it was at that moment that I started not only learning and understanding why things were going the way they were in my life, but I also started putting into practice what I was learning in order to experience life differently. And at this point, I wasn't sure if experiencing life in that way was going to be possible, but I was willing to believe it was possible. I was willing to try. There was something inside me that's like, got to give this a go. You got to give this a try. This is something different. And there was sometimes when you know something, you hear something and it just resonates to your deepest core. 
that's what this was for me. So at that time, all this information started coming to me about generational trauma, self-concept work, nervous system regulation, which I talk about so much. It's so important. And as I put what I learned into practice, things finally began shifting for the better in my life. Some people get into the knowledge collection phase. They learn a lot. They absorb a lot, but they don't start enacting it. And you get stuck in the knowledge. So when you learn something, you've got to put it into practice and see if it works for you and give it a good faith effort and see if it fits for you. And as you do that, you will probably learn more information along the way. And then you can add what resonates for you there. And that's how you find your path. So of all the knowledge that I learned along the way and the things that I was enacting, here's what I did to go from an anxious avoidant or fearful avoidant attachment style to a dominantly secure attachment style. First, I had the willingness to change and unlearn behaviors. Having the willingness is step one. Are you willing to do it? And if you're not, that's okay. Wherever you are is perfect for you. Sometimes it's not the right time. It seems too scary. But having that willingness is step one. Then I made a decision. I decided who I am and who I want to be. I took away everything that I was told I needed to be or should be. And there were parts of that that did resonate for me. So I kept those. But the things that I realized I was just doing for other people and the ways that I was showing up just to make others happy, I put those on the reject list. I put them on the list of things that I wanted to unlearn and was willing to let go of, if you will. So I made the decision of who I am, who I want to be, how I want to show up, how I want to feel, the things I want to believe about myself, and the way I want to behave in life. Then I started to bring awareness to patterns. So I looked back in my past just to see if there were patterns of behavior, uh, patterns in any kind of sense, the ways I was showing up, the things I was saying to myself, uh, the way I was interacting with others. I looked at those, brought awareness to those. And when doing this pattern work, I don't know why I call it pattern work. I just call it pattern work. (laughs) Pattern work. I actually decided what safety means and looks like for me. So safety is a really big thing. And just like with any word, it can mean something different to everyone. So I decided what safety meant for me because in the past, what felt safe for me, I don't know if it really felt safe so much as familiar. So that was something I had to learn for myself. And when I decided what that looked like and felt like, I don't know if I knew what it felt like, but I was willing to learn what it felt like. I started giving that to myself. Whatever I decided that safety was and what safety meant, I started to do that for myself and not rely on others to make me feel safe. Another thing I did, which was extra scary, this was all kind of scary because it was new, but this felt extra scary at the time was I learned to process my emotions and allowed myself to be vulnerable. And again, that started with myself, being honest, open with myself. And as I started to do that, it I then branched out and found safe connections that I could do that with. But it all started with being vulnerable, open, and honest with myself. I also started incorporating mindfulness practices into my mornings or evenings or during the day as I felt was appropriate for where I was at in life, and also practicing nervous system regulation techniques and also doing energy healing work. And this is where I wish I had learned about emotion code and body code sooner. And I just now trust the order in which I learn things, but emotion code and body code 
is helpful. Uh, when I did learn it and discover it, it was still helpful in where I was on my journey from insecurity to security. I also learned and allowed myself to forgive myself for past mistakes and how I showed up or well, probably didn't show up for myself and also for others as well. But ultimately, I started with forgiving myself for how I was treating myself because that affected how I was treating others and showing up in relation to others as well. I also started to allow myself to make mistakes and give myself grace in relationships. So again, I mentioned earlier about the perfectionism. I used to be very, very hard on myself when I let people down because I felt like I was letting myself down and it just continued this vicious cycle. So when I started allowing myself to make mistakes and also supporting myself the way that I needed to be supported when I made mistakes when I was younger, things really started to feel better for me. And finally, I think some of you are not going to like this one, but that's okay. Take it, take it as it resonates. I let myself be and feel triggered. So the only way to really grow through my triggers was to allow myself to be triggered and practice my processing skills, supporting myself, asking for what I needed, allowing my emotions without judgment. And the more that I allowed myself to feel triggered, now this doesn't mean I went out and like threw myself into a trigger on purpose. That works for some people. I just continued to live my life. And as things triggered me, I started to believe in myself that I could actually process those triggers. And I just kept practicing those skills to get myself through the triggers. And as I did that, the triggers became less intense or the things that triggered me before don't trigger me anymore. So... Let yourself be triggered. It's part of the growth process. We can't resolve triggers unless we're triggered and process through them. Those are the main things that I did to move from insecure attachment to secure attachment style. I do want to say that these shifts did not happen overnight for me, and they tend not to happen overnight for most people. I mean, I didn't get where I was overnight, and I didn't really expect to get where I wanted to go overnight, although that would have been lovely. But that's okay. It gave me time to practice my skills. And now I feel like a pro most of the time <laughs> when I'm going through triggers or processing things or in uh, old scenarios, old types of scenarios that used to bother me, if you will. So while it was definitely a process, it is one that has been so worth it just to feel secure with myself and in life in general. Another note just because my attachment style is now dominantly secure, that doesn't mean that I don't have anxious or avoidant thoughts and also uncomfortable emotions that come up for me. The difference now is that I have the tools to work through those thoughts and emotions and not react to them. And I can easily redirect myself without spiraling into an old false preservation narrative. So just because you... Secure people, it's not that they don't have insecure feelings and thoughts and things like that. They just know how to handle them. So that's the difference. So if you think you have to do things perfectly in order to have a secure attachment style, please take that pressure off of yourself. Okay, you can have the thoughts. You can have the emotions. You just trust in yourself and believe in yourself and know how to support yourself through those things so they don't run your life anymore in 
dominantly insecure attachment styles, those thoughts, those emotions, those narratives, those behaviors and reactions, those tend to be the things that are running someone's life. They definitely were mine. So if you identify with any of the insecure attachment styles in this episode, know that this is not a life sentence unless you decide it is. With some conscious awareness and practice, you can shift to identifying as a securely attached person. If you'd like help along your journey, I do offer one-on-one energy healing and coaching services, as well as other products and resources to support you. You can find those at www.myspiritualocean.com. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining me. I will catch you on the next wave.